Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn more from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also really appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. It's encouraging to see more and more companies and organizations over the last couple of years uh, that have programs or have created programs designed to hire autistic people. However, these programs are not always helpful to autistic and all neurodivergent folks. Amy Root joins us on this episode to discuss the pros and cons of neurodivergent hiring programs. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Amy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. One to start off that how I do in a lot of these interviews and just kind of learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? Yeah, that's a great question. And what's interesting, in a lot of ways, it started first with my daughter. I have a couple of children, and the, the first daughter, when she was about five, four or five, the school started to notice her behavior. And of course, they came to me and said, hey, we need to get your child assessed. You know, shortly after she was diagnosed as autistic, and that's really where my story began about understanding autism. Um, but I was personally later diagnosed after my daughter was. I know that's a story a lot of people, you know, with autism being really genetic. We see it a lot in families. You start looking around and, and we started looking around and it was very clear that I was very much like my daughter. So again, I was diagnosed, I was 36, if you can believe that. Um, it, it honestly was the best day of my life because it just made a ton of sense. My whole life, when I look back, you know, I, I with the lens of autism, it, my entire life just started to make sense. Um, and so since then, I've been really a strong advocate for disability rights, for autistic employment is a big piece of what I'm passionate about. And then just neurodiversity, you know, understanding the differences in humans, that is something I'm also very, very passionate about. So a long-winded answer, but it started really with my daughter. You know, in doing research to, uh, to talk with you today, something that I came across that I was really interested in is that you grew up as part of a missionary family, living right. living in over 40 countries during the first half of your life. I, I always feel like when people have cross-cultural experiences, they're usually better off, a lot better off. How, how did those experiences shape your life as you moved uh, into adulthood? Good question. So first of all, yes, I'm a third culture kid. If you've not heard of that term, please look it up. But um, basically, you know, I, I had my own identity of where I was born, but all the places I was raised and all the different cultures that I experienced, I think it when you put it under the lens of also that I'm autistic, what I find is that was a fascinating and really perfect experience for me because I didn't know that I was autistic growing up. And now that I know that, 
I, I think I would have naturally gravitated away from all the experiences that I got from traveling. Like I would rather be alone. I would rather not explore. I would rather um, not travel, not be uncomfortable, not live in different beds uh, a lot. Um, the fact that I was raised like that really helped me as a person have some good foundational understanding of human behavior and people, but also as an autistic person, it totally got me out of my comfort zone. And it, I think it made me, I just have a much better understanding of people. And so I look at the world far more holistically I look at problems at a universal standpoint because I think a lot of the world's problems and a lot of the things that we deal with on a day in and day out is universal human plight. You know, we, we're constantly looking at it maybe from a business lens or a psychology lens or a, you know, finance lens, whatever way you want to look at it. But it all comes down to that human connection. And because I was raised overseas, I, I get that and I, I can see it quickly and I connect with people like that. Hopefully that made sense, the answer, but I think it changed me deeply. And I think if anybody could travel, it's such a good experience to understand other cultures because we get so caught up in our own world um, that we don't see that there are perfectly wonderful other ways to live in. And it doesn't always have to be the same. So the key is to live in at least 40 countries. Well, 40, <laughs> that might be a lot for some people, but for sure get out, you know, even if it's just a, a trip somewhere, just seeing other cultures and understanding different values, different environments, different music, different family structures. I mean, I love human behavior. I, I went and got a degree in psychology, fascinated by humans and human behavior. And one of the best ways to experience that is to completely go to different cultures, go to different countries and see what life is like. I've met uh, many autistic professionals through LinkedIn, and that's where you know, I learned about you. What, what for you has been the benefits of using um, LinkedIn or autistic LinkedIn? Well, what's interesting is if I didn't have LinkedIn, um, especially at this stage of my life, being diagnosed later, being autistic, being a professional, I would have been alone forever. Because what's interesting is um, I, I first got on LinkedIn and heard about some events that were going on, you know, these autism at work hiring programs and got, got connected that way and started connecting with people. But it all started with LinkedIn. And ironically, my very closest friend um, who, who is also autistic and also works at the same company as I do, I never even got connected with him through the company. Like we didn't even know of each other, but through an external person on LinkedIn. And it was all through under the hashtag of actually autistic. That's how I've been finding people. And it's, it's been so helpful to me to, to see different people at all different stages of their life, different paths in the career, you know, people that are looking for work, just getting to connected to other autistic adults has been helpful because it's really hard on Facebook. I don't know if you've tried to search there, but um, I, I've just not found the success that I have is finding people on LinkedIn. I have, I did, I have not found the connections on Facebook that not even close to yeah. the ones that I found on LinkedIn. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I mean, but that's good. Yeah. yeah. And, and also because I, I really want to focus on, there's a great disparity in, you know, the U.S. workforce of people who are neurotypical and people who are neurodivergent, right? There, there should be the same kind of spread in the population as there should be in the workplace, but there's not. And so to me, that's fascinating. There's got to be something broken about our workplaces that's preventing people like me getting in. Um, and so... You know, that was around five or six years ago that when after I was diagnosed, I started looking around to see 
are there autistic people like me? And I can't find any of them. I literally couldn't find any. And it took a while to kind of connect with people and to hear their stories. Um, it's just, it, we, we need to work in the workplace to make sure that there are people here and representative. Hmm. Now, yeah. Now you, you've worked uh, at the United Health Group for about the last seven years now. And uh, right. this year be, you became the Medicare dual eligible special needs plan director. For those listening that might not be aware of those plans, um, can you tell us um, a little bit about what the heck they are and how they, yeah. how, they, how they might be beneficial to some people listening? Yeah, so yeah, you're correct. Um, this last year, I've, I've been with United Health Group for seven years. I became the director of DSNIP product, and I do a lot of strategy work. Um, dual eligible, or DSNIP, um, we also call it that, um, that would be for those who are eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid. So typically we're talking about people who are elderly, people with disabilities, um, and or people with limited incomes. Um, again, they need to be eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid. And this population is, is just near and dear to my heart because obviously these are my people, right? <laughs> these, these are people that um, I very much care about the experience that they have within healthcare, and I care about if there's healthcare inequities that they face. Um, but this group has very complex health needs, um, and DSNP, our programs, what they can do is help make healthcare more affordable. Um, they cover all of the medical, like, you know, hospital, doctors, and prescriptions, but they also do additional benefits like dental and transportation. Um, and then what's also interesting is they do some coordination of care between Medicare and Medicaid on your behalf. So when you become a DSNET member, you get that added coordination, which is very beneficial. Now, you've spent a couple of years leading the uh, development of United Health Group's uh, neurodiversity initiatives um, with other openly autistic leaders. Why do you think it's uh, so important for companies to include openly autistic leaders, not just in their neurodiversity initiatives, but in all facets of their company? This is a big question. I love it. So if you've not heard this phrase, nothing about us without us, then please write it down, tattoo it on your arm, do something. (laughs) Nothing about us without us. And I think this is pretty important about all inclusion initiatives that have happened. Like we, we must include those people in which we are creating policies, in which we are making decisions. They have to be at the table in equal seating, right? They need to be at the table. And a lot of these initiatives that I see do not have neurodivergent people at the table. Um, And and well-intentioned people, a lot of these programs are actually born out of a, a deep desire and a care for the community. But if you do not include neurodivergent people when you're doing neurodivergent hiring programs or any of these initiatives, you are, you are greatly undermining your own success. First of all, you know, you get really good input from people who understand the experience. You get that expertise, that experience. Um, you also get somebody who genuinely wants to see change and would very likely create the kind of change that needs to occur to actually create that difference. You know, there's so many benefits to having that, but you know, nothing about us without us. I think it's very important. Also, if you think about it, why do I think that you were asking, why do I think it's important for companies to include autistic leaders, but also in all facets? So if you're talking about employing people who are autistic or neurodivergent, you, you are 
literally talking about people who experience the world in a fundamentally different way. Their senses, the way that they process information, the way that they communicate, all of these are fundamentally different in an autistic person. Now, the benefit of that is the way that they go about their day, the way that they go about solving problems is truly fundamentally different than the way neurotypical people do. So if you think about that, that's innovation and resilience. We go about day in and day out interacting with the world that wasn't designed or created for us. We're constantly going around trying to create new new ways to maybe complete a task or engage in the world or you know to drive down the road, whatever it is. We're constantly innovating so we can interact with the world that was created for someone else. That is pure innovation. You, like, you need that in your organization. Some companies don't do that because it can cause friction. Anytime you can add groups together that are so drastically different, it, it can create conflict. And some companies um, are uncomfortable with that or people don't know how to work through that. But after that conflict, on the other end of that conflict you know, ridge, that's where pure innovation and inclusion really occur. But you just have to get through that, that process. I think it's really interesting you use the word resiliency because when you're when we're talking about a group of people that are that have to be resilient, you know, in order to survive a lot of time, we're talking about a group of people that are actively every, you know, through so much of their day trying to problem solve. And That's right. and how that can be so such an important skill obviously in any workplace. Very important. I mean, yes, it, there are so many benefits of hiring autistic people, people with disabilities. I mean, literally, you have untapped innovation. You, you have just a great resiliency and a loyalty and a, a, a new and fresh way to engage with your customers. If you're not hiring people with disabilities or autistic people, you are really not, um, you're not helping your business in any way whatsoever. I mean, for sure, it could be damaging to you. From what I read, uh, it seems like you've been involved in many neurodiversity hiring um, pilots. What do you see as the pros and cons of neurodiversity hiring initiatives? Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and every time you ask me this, if it's six months from now, I think my, my involvement has evolved. My ideas about this have evolved, too. So I, I will give that kind of a, a level. You know, I, I was very excited at the beginning about these. Um, and I'm keenly aware and involved in several of these neurodiversity hiring initiatives. And I think there's a spectrum as far as how helpful they are to the community and to the cause. You know, I think there are some that are really, you know, trying and actively pivoting and, and trying to, um, you know, create these inclusion initiatives that are helpful and then others that really, I don't think they understand the harm that they might be doing to individuals. So it's kind of all over the place. What's interesting is where the initiatives are placed like where in the organization has been fascinating to me. So if it's run by a business unit or a business leader versus run by HR or diversity inclusion, I, I find that interesting. And I, I have seen a lot of success with those business leaders who genuinely want to solve some of their greatest problems like product leaders or, you know, um, strategy or, you know, they might lead some tech division in their organization, that they start hiring autistic people because they know they need that innovation. And a lot of those programs um, and or initiatives have been pretty successful. And I just, I, I want to point that out, that I, I really appreciate that there are some really good leaders out there, you know, really doing 
the best thing for their organization and the right thing for employees. But overall, I've been a critic of the vast majority of these initiatives recently. Okay, so the pros is the pros, I think they've put a spotlight on the issue, which is, you know, there there's a disproportionate amount of unemployed autistic people, you know, as there should be in the workplace. Uh, I, I believe that a lot of the spotlight, though, the focus has been on the wrong aspects of the workplace. So a lot of times they'll say, oh, it's just, you know, the interviewing stage. That's the part that we need to focus on. Or it's, you know, the recruitment or it's, you know, the interviewing or, or whatever. But they are also, you know, they might not be um, supporting the employee the way that they need to and for growth and development. Sometimes they will do certain job coaching when it needs to be more of a, not just for the individual who's autistic, but also for the managers and also for the sure. organization. I think for this to truly be inclusive, they have to look holistically at the entire environment and understand that you can't just plop a person in the same old environment and just, you know, wash your hands of it and be like, yep, there's, that's our inclusion initiative. That's, that's really not how it works. Some programs I've seen have shifted from autism hiring to neurodiversity or neuroinclusion. So I think that's been a positive shift to more overall inclusion. And then also, you know, if you, if you look at that, that's really universal design and inclusive design. And I've heard that word being used a lot. Hopefully organizations are starting to see if you take away some of the barriers that are present for neurodivergent individuals, you're actually creating a better path for all individuals. And that's more of the, that's really where I think these programs need to go. I think that's why I'm, I'm a harsh critic is I hope we don't focus too long on hiring autistic people or hiring neurodivergent people. And we focus far more on, is this the environment in which these particular individuals and all individuals can thrive? Are there barriers and gaps that we are, you know, unnecessarily creating that's really excluding certain candidates from coming in and others not, you know, and the more that they create a more inclusive environment, they'll be able to brand themselves and to, you know, get more individuals to come to their organization. I, I just think, but yes, I, I think there are some good programs and not so good programs out there. Absolutely. Do you see, um, you know, a lot of these programs, it seems like the autistic or neurodivergent um, employee has to learn how to adapt to the 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 business but where but what about the you know the neurotypical employees or supervisors also kind of adapting to their employee i hope that there are organizations that see that i do think that there's adaptation on both sides where Mm -hmm. where i often see these programs are where they're focusing just on the neurodivergent individual trying to make sure that they understand what the policies and process and all that is and and trying to get them acclimated in the workplace versus, you know, you kind of meet in the middle. That's really what needs to occur. I don't know if that's what you're asking, but that's really what needs to occur is there needs to be some flexibility. And quite frankly, the managers that have been managing autistic employees are ones that have learned that these practices like communicating clearly, sending follow-up notes to meetings, making sure you have a clear agenda before a meeting and you identify what's required of individuals. You know, some of these things that we're doing for autistic people, it's just really good communication and really good management practices, right? Right. We need to make sure that people understand the vision of the team and that you clearly articulate what is required to be successful in the role. That helps the autistic person more than anything. It's just clear outlines of what is expected and when it's due. (laughs) 
and, and it helps all people. Being openly autistic can certainly come with uh, its set of challenges in the workplace, and I'm sure I'm sure we could spend many many hours uh, talking about that. However, how has disclosing that that you're autistic been helpful to you? Yeah, I've got a lot of stories of how it's been unhelpful, but I'll <laughs> tell you my stories where it's been helpful. Um, I mean, it's been helpful because, again, I was diagnosed at 36. One of the parts of my revelation in my mind of really looking back on my life was looking back at my career life and looking back at feedback that I have received over the years. Feedback, annual performance. You know, this is the time of year we all love it. But it was fascinating to me to continue to see from the lens of me being autistic that feedback directly correlated with my autism, like it had to do with communication style and that I was too detailed sometimes, I wasn't succinct enough, you know, all of those things. That was so interesting to me to look back. Sharing was helpful because then it it really helped me with my current, a good example was I shared with my current manager at the time, hey, I'm autistic. I was diagnosed recently and I think it's amazing and this is what it means for me. And also, this is why you're seeing this in my performance. Do you think that we can build a better way to communicate? And that's how I presented it. It wasn't just, hey, I'm autistic and flop it in someone's lap. It was like I had thought about it. It's I'm autistic. This is what it means. This is probably why we've had some kind of a, a miss or an error sometimes. And, and this is the path I think we can take. And that opened up a conversation. And honestly, it was pivotal. It was pivotal to my career success, I think, at that time to share that. That person was very open and understanding, and I've had two other managers that were really good like that since, but again, I've shared it, I've openly shared it, but in a way where it's actionable, and it's like, I tell them what it means to me, I don't let them go research themselves what autism means, no, 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 (laughs) Um, I tell them what it means to me, and what it looks like within me, and what kind of support that I need, and then just kind of keep the conversation going. You know, it depends how you how you say things to people. I think language matters, right? It's how you how you present what's going on. Um, I I've always found in general that when I come to people like willing to collaborate, like I wanna I wanna make this a good working relationship, and I want to share this piece of information with you so we can do better. People seem to respond very well to that. So. I think it all depends on how you share it, when you share it, who you share it with. There are a lot of people who aren't safe, honestly, even even now. There's a lot of people who aren't safe. And I think it can hurt you sometimes. But again, do the best you can to, to, to own your narrative and to tell people what it means and what it doesn't mean. <laughs> oh, getting uh, assessed and diagnosed as autistic has uh, lots and lots of barriers uh, for that happening for, for so many people out there. What would you say to those that think they have a work colleague that they think is autistic, but either that person hasn't disclosed that information or maybe that person themselves isn't aware that they're autistic? What would I say to that person? I mean, don't start that conversation. <laughs> Is that what you mean? Um, I, I don't know. If anything, it's I wouldn't focus on the autism. Like, I wonder if they're autistic. I would just say, you know, go to the person and say, hey, I've noticed differences and I really want to work well with you. Can we talk about them? And, what are, you know, maybe the language style. But I, I, I personally wouldn't go to somebody and say, hey, I think you're autistic. Why don't you go get tested? <laughs> I wouldn't say that to somebody. Well, if you suspect somebody's autistic, it, hopefully it would be the same as you suspected somebody was struggling at work. You would go to them and say, hey, you know, I want to be your work buddy. I want to be your friend. And, um, 
you know, I, I want to help. What can I do to help? I, you know, accommodation conversations are really just like a conversation on what can I do to better set you up for success? That should be the conversation. If, if I have employees and I do, my conversation should look the same to an autistic person as it would to a non-autistic person or anyone else. It should be for you, like for you, Doug, what would it take for you to be successful in this role? And if that's a headset, if that's a quiet space, if that's clear directions written down, whatever that is, that's what I'm going to give that person. So hopefully, depending on where your role is, if you're a coworker or a boss or somebody, just have open conversations. That really should be what's going on. Well, um, well write them down for me, Amy. I'm not going to remember. I, more than, no, I'm not going to remember. I mean, or I will, I might remember incorrectly. Like, oh, yeah, I should have asked. Should have had, had you write them down. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Amy, I, I really enjoyed uh, the conversation today. Thanks so much for uh, joining me and yes. uh, making time out of your day. Yeah, well, hopefully I answered some good questions, or if you have others, please let me know. All right. I'm gonna... I, this is a topic I could talk about all day. Thanks so much to Amy for the conversation. If you're interested in how Autism Personal Coach can help you be on this podcast, you can find a link to book a free call to learn how we can help to coach you to reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things that you need and want in, in your life. So book a Zoom call with me today. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation in which we talk about the world of acting for autistic folks. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.